are listening to the Heartland Author Podcast. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. For the first episode of this podcast in the year 2023, I had the honor of interviewing Tracy Lydia Garner. Tracy, who has muscular dystrophy, is the author of multiple books, including the nonfiction book Disability, an anecdotal field guide for the rest of us, and multiple romance fiction books. I'm here with Tracy Lydia Gardner, who is an author of uh, well over a dozen books. Tracy, welcome to the Heartland Author Podcast. Thank you so much, Aaron. It is great to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Well, my name is Tracy Lydia Garner. As you said, I've written almost 20 books. I have a 20th book coming out later this month for writers. And uh, my heart is in the romance genre. Romance kind of saved me from depression and uh, flunking my academics almost 21, 22 years ago now uh, when I entered a writing contest. And uh, I won. And uh, that really changed my life as far as my writing. And I, my grades got better, too, as a sidebar. But, um, yeah, I love the written word. I love speaking and talking about writing. I love helping aspiring writers uh, meet their goals and um, learn to write and publish and finish their books. Um, I am a Northern Virginia native. I've been in Virginia all my life. And I live just outside of B.C., and um yeah so i'm happy to join you on this podcast and i should say i love event planning too um and i love uh graphic design and a little bit of cooking i love to actually cook i'm a home cook home chef i love putting together new recipes and doing stuff like that and just lastly i uh have muscular dystrophy i use a wheelchair for the majority of my day to get around for mobility but I um, haven't let that stop me, and I was diagnosed at two years old, more than 44 years ago, if you can believe that. So I just continue to thrive and have a great outlook on life, and am an all-around gregarious and very funny person. So watch out. could be some, some jokes in here. Now, as you mentioned, you were diagnosed with muscular dystrophy at a young age. And uh, what are some of the struggles you faced being disabled in a world not built for people with disabilities? I understand you had to wage some kind of a legal battle with the Commonwealth of Virginia over uh, mobility equipment? It was. It was. It, we, we didn't get quite to the legal court system, but it was almost about to go there. You know, I... Um, have a disability and I wanted to drive, you know, at 20 something, I was a little late, but like more, most normal people, typically functioning people, um, start driving around 16, you know, 17 or so. Um, I had to wait a little bit longer for mine because I needed um, to get assistance to pay for the hand modifications, the uh, hand controls that were gonna be placed in my vehicle. And I had some kind of case manager who I will not name, but he was something and he really underestimated my determination 
to um, keep appealing his denials. He denied me almost seven times. You know, and as an African-American woman, I can't help but know that that was one of the reasons when I saw some of my friends who were not black um, and they were able to get approved for their modifications in the state to help them pay for them, you know, um, quicker than I did. So after seven appeals, um, I actually got a new case manager. Um, this person retired or they left. I don't really know what happened to them, but they were out of my hair and I was so glad. And, you know, I was able, as soon as the new case manager came, either I wore them down with the appeals or, you know, the new case manager just kind of was green at the process. But I got approved as soon as he was able to review everything and get acclimated to his job and to helping people with disabilities. And I got them to, you know, to pay for the portion that they agreed um, to pay to get the hand controls and I never looked back. Um, and I wrote about that in a recent book that came out early last year, I can't believe I'm saying that, about disability and anecdotal field guide for the rest of us. That's my book on uh, overcoming some of the adversities that I suffered and was dealt, you know, and it hasn't been easy. You know, I think that I make look having the disability great and like it's all glamorous, but nobody really sees what goes on, the discrimination, the prejudice, just the advocacy fatigue that, um, you know, people with disabilities experience having to educate others and always tell people, you know, this isn't quite right, this isn't fair, this isn't the law, you know, that could get kind of tiring. And I noticed that more, especially as I age with a disability. So those are some of the hurdles that, I, that I've overcame, but I've been driving over 15 years now. Um, and it's been wonderful. It was liberating. I'm so glad I didn't give up. Um, you know, but it's it's not for everybody. It's a real, it's a real maturity piece that comes in to learning. Like, are your muscles okay? You know, can you withstand? Can you react? You know, and you have to weigh all of that carefully when you're deciding to drive. But you know, that burden shouldn't be ours because other people, 16 year olds and you know, 19 year olds. Are just out here driving and there's no real um there's no real thought i feel like there's no real psychological evaluation that goes into that so you know it's it's all of that it's all of those things and you still make up your mind that you're going to do this and so i'm so glad that i fought and advocated and spoke up for myself in that particular uh trial but that is one of many trials that i've had as a person with a disability now, uh, you uh, answered half of my next question, so I will ask the other half. The cover of your book, Disability, an Anecdotal Field Guide for the Rest of Us, depicts a woman who is being tipped backward in her wheelchair by the world. Uh, did you design that book cover, or did someone else design it? I actually designed it myself. That is one of my first uh, attempts. Um, I don't recommend people that really kind of um, do their own book covers because I think a real artist should do that. I have been taking some design uh, courses and I love graphic design, probably because of the creation of Canva, which is a design uh, program kind of online. And um, I just been learning that and working with that. And I was thinking, you know, what would it look like? What would my book cover look like? And I just to start, uh, decided to, you know, I'm going to do this myself. Like nobody can really embody what I'm trying to say like I can. And, you know, and even I 
I've had some thoughts about, you know, maybe this wasn't a universal enough picture. Maybe I should just put my own picture on the front. But I know that I'll have many subsequent books. So I decided, yeah, let's, you know, that's the way I feel. That I am a wheelchair user. There is an African-American woman on the cover. She is me or she embodies who I think I am or what I look like. And the world is just kind of coming at her. And it's, it's almost like she's catching it. And yeah, it's tipping her over. And that is kind of a metaphor for what the world is, that if you um, let it come at you at a certain way, you know, not just the world, but the people, the problems, the experiences that you have, the trials and the triumphs, all of those kind of come at you and they can literally tip you over and make you fall down, um, but you have to keep getting back up. And so there's even a little cup of a spilled coffee. Like I'm just rolling along in my life with my Starbucks coffee, um, which I got lots of gift cards for Christmas. Thank you. Um, so I just am rolling along, just trying to live my life. And then, you know, people, things, situations, socioeconomic um, issues, they all come at you, at all of us really, not just me, but they come at you and they, you know, they try to tip you over. They try to impede your progress and stop you. And so that's kind of what I was trying to depict on my on my book cover. Now, I'm going to uh, I'm I'm disabled as well, but I have a quite a bit of a different disability than you. I have a developmental disability called an autism spectrum disorder and mm-hmm. uh, and uh like uh, people with your disability, this world is not really built for uh, someone with autism or an autism spectrum disorder. I'll sometimes feel like I'm an an alien in my own planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh... I totally share that. I've felt that way too. But you know, sometimes I've actually felt like Superman, you know, a little bit that in, we have differences, but people just don't know our true potential. We have superpowers, we have capabilities that people, you know, either don't realize, don't see, or especially don't believe. And so I think that I've always, like Superman's my favorite. Um, superhero character and uh, and I like Batman and Spider-Man too but Superman has always I've watched every incarnation of Superman that I can that I can find um, when it comes on either the CW or um, even the one that's my favorite is Lois and Clark the New Adventures of Superman I used to watch that religiously as a teenager but my point is that we all have something that we're dealing with that people don't either recognize they don't see they don't want to see and sometimes they don't want to believe that we are still capable in spite of you know, our disability. I'm sure there are um, attributes and things that you have that people don't even know about, and the same with myself. So I kind of look at it like, you know, like if they really knew my potential, man, they'd be, they'd be enamored, they'd be like mesmerized. And so I just think that, I just kind of use that as a way to cope with, um, with people kind of overlooking you, discounting you, um, ignoring you, you know, and so I just kind of always had that little persona. I see my disability as almost sometimes a persona to um, to use as best I can and to work through, uh, kind of like, you know, Clark Clint, Kent and Superman do. Now, a couple months ago, 
the fourth book in your romance series, the Jamison Family series, and this particular uh, book was titled Occasional Hero, was published. Yes. Without spoiling too much of each book in the series, what are each of the books in the uh, Jamison Family series titled, and what are they about? Sure. So the Jamison Family series is four books, as you mentioned. They are all siblings, so that's their interconnection. The first one is about a school teacher who leaves Virginia. All of them live in uh, the Alexandria, Virginia area, where I grew up and where I'm from. Um, they, you know, come to different challenges and scandals in their life. Um, Tish, who's in whatever may come, she is a t single teacher who uh, flees Virginia after a scandal it happened in her classroom. So um, she flees to start over again in Macon, Georgia. Um, Dean's story, Tish's brother Dean, um, he has an old love that he's never been able to quite get right with her. And so that's their story. It's like a second chance um, love story about people who were together and then apart for, you know, different marriages and then come back together after um, an incident. So that is a current affair. The third story is Against My Window. That is about the next sister. Her name is Gina. She is actually going through, I love this story. I love all my stories so much, but this one is particularly interesting because Gina's husband is in a car accident. Before the car accident, he asks her for a divorce. And so he doesn't really know why he would do that. When he wakes up after his car accident in the hospital, she visits him and tells him, you know, we're getting a divorce. And he cannot believe it. He was like, why on earth would I ask you for a divorce? So um, that story is unique in that I feel like the heart knows what you really want, even when your brain doesn't know. So he really loves her. Even though he asked her for a divorce, he might have had an ulterior motive for asking her for a divorce, but he really didn't mean it. But the amnesia complicates matters in that he can't remember. And this last story is uh, Jojo, the oldest brother, as you mentioned, occasional hero. He is a military man recently returning home from a tour of duty. And um, he hastily married um, a woman just to give her his name and a future for her um, for her children. And when he comes back, the real work sets in of making this new marriage work, um, you know, struggling together, um, seeing if he's really gonna, if they're really gonna make it through. His um, love interest, his wife, is actually a twin. And the twin, her twin sister died under some mysterious circumstances. So his leaving her, uh, you know, brought all of that back up. And so that also causes some issues in the marriage. And it's always, you know, will they or won't they? Will they get together? Of course they will. It's a romance. It ends happily, always. But um, just seeing them go through struggles and, you know, finding love and deciding, you know, to try to make it work, those are always a central theme in my stories. Now, what are some of the other books you've written, if you could briefly touch on, like, a few of those? Sure. I've written a total of 18 books, as I mentioned. Actually, 19. JoJo makes 19. Um, this book coming out uh, this later this month is called uh, Author Life Fix. Um, so my stories are either romance and romantic suspense, and also a couple self-help books. Author Life Fix, um, which comes out in just a few weeks, is about really helping aspiring authors and newly published authors 
um, fix their author life. That's why it's called author life fix. But I just go through 15 different scenarios um, from, you know, website development and your marketing um, and all the different topics an author has to do to make their book a success and kind of evaluate all of those components and make your book better as a result of reading the book. Some of my other books have been self-help and inspirational, pack light, thoughts for the journey are about, um, you know, also overcoming adversity. I talk about workplace bullying incident that I had in my career. Workplace bullying is no joke. People think the playground has the bullies. I'm here to tell you, the workplace can really have the bullies too. So, and it's almost worse because there's a, like a psychological, you know, adult component to it. And so a, just, a lot more on the line. Yeah, yeah. And, and also they learn more tools in order to kind of like, you know, psychologically, you know, push you around. And so it's, it's just, I go into detail about my experience with that. Um, and how I coped with it, and then also how to find resources and get help if you are experienced. I think a lot more people go through workplace bullying than anybody cares to admit, because it's just such a prevalent occurrence. And it's very sad. It's very sad that as adults, we would do that to one another. So there's some of that. There's also talking about embracing your unfavorites. Sometimes disability is not my favorite thing, but I talk about how to work through that how to deal with it. And so, um, like I mentioned, my books are kind of self-help inspirational. There's about three. And then the rest of the books, you know, are all romance, all romantic suspense, I should say, because I like a little bit of the edge of your seat um, type of romance that, uh, that I've just grown to love. There's something about romance, but then there's something about car chases and things burning up and almost a little, almost borderline uh, thriller I have in my romances. Now, if you have a typical writing routine, what is that like for you? Sure. So um, my writing routine is that I write as much as I can in one, you know, without, you know, not in one sitting. But I would say just every day or every other day. I don't write every day. And I, I think that's okay. I think people that tell you to write every day is, is a good practice if you can manage. But don't beat yourself up if you don't write every single day. What I do is I think about my story all the time. It's always in the back of my mind. What is she going to encounter? What is he going to do? How are they going to respond to this scenario? When is that car going to be on fire? So I'm always thinking about um, things going on with the story, even though I don't write to it. So I try to write as much as I can. I usually start with emotion or a character, how somebody's feeling. Um, I can usually get to 250 pages um, without, you know, too many breaks, without stopping, um, just working on it a little bit. A few hours every day. I mostly write on the nights and weekends um, because I do work full time. So I'm doing that. And then I'll go back and keep going over it and do any research I need to do until I can get to a solid draft. After I get to a solid draft, I'll either read it on the computer or I'll print it out where I can mark it up and make notations in the margins and um, you know fix any scenes. And then I'll you know go back to it and implement all the changes that I made. And I just keep going, keep doing a little bit of that back and forth until the end until I'm ready to send it off to my editor. And so that's usually um, how I write my books. 
Now, I have these next two questions listed in a different order than the order I'm going to ask you them. But while you were a student at Old Dominion University, you contributed poetry to the university's literary magazine. How did writing poetry for the Old Dominion literary magazine prepare you for writing full-length books? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, um, and I just a correction, I wrote for um, Northern Virginia Community College's uh, literary magazine. Um, I don't remember, I don't think I got into the ODU literary magazine, so it was at a different college. Okay, I apologize um, for the That's the okay. No, nah, it's not a big deal at all, but I just wanted to make that clarification. I love poetry. I'm thinking about going back to poetry sometimes. I mean, I feel like I want to write in all genres. I always used to think I'd only write romance, but since I've written um, nonfiction and self-help books and books on writing and books on disability, I just feel being called to all different kinds of genres. So poetry was really just a way for me to express having a disability. I wrote a poem couple poems about um, being disabled and what that was like and I just love the short form of poetry and that it gives you it's a story but it's kind of really choppy it's broken up there's a lot of inference that you have to do there's a lot of kind of taking one line by line and I love you know explicating I think a poem in 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 college that was so fun to me um, I loved, you know, digging deeper into what the author was trying to say. You know, the professor would ask us questions. What do you think the author means here? I just love that so much. So I do hope to do a chapbook of poems um, at some point. But I also want to write a play. I want to write a movie script. Um, you know, I just see myself. I want to write true crime. I love true crime. I listen to true crime podcasts. Um, so um, I want to write everything. But... What it taught me is that uh, writing poetry is just that I yearned for something longer. I mean, the more a poem can only be so long. Um, but, you know, when you really see a story there, you want to expound and kind of lengthen it into something. So it really just provided a launch pad. I think I might have been taking a poetry class or a writing, creative writing class. And so I was just like, let me try this. And then, um, you know, so, and then when I started writing a novel, I really haven't looked back at poetry in 20 plus years. So it's been a long time, but I know I'll return to it eventually because I do really want it. The only problem with poetry to me is sometimes that's very subjective. You can't always know what's going in the writer's mind. And that can be kind of frustrating. Like, wow, what did they mean here? And it's, you almost want to call them up and say, hey, this poem, number 72, you know, and sometimes they've written it in like 19, you know, 49. <laughs> they don't even remember. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so there's that element where poetry is a little bit subjective um, in that you always, you don't always get to know the meaning. You can only kind of come up with what you think the writer is trying to say and that's that's kind of fun too but it's it's very mysterious you've written both fiction and non-fiction books and what are some of the biggest difference between how you approach writing a fiction book and how you approach writing a non-fiction book yeah it's interesting i never really think about the differences for one in fiction i get to be very dramatic I mean, and I'm also lying. I'm telling a lot of lies, a lot of embellishments. It's all made up. 
And so that part to me is so fun because um, you're almost like a little god. You can play god with your characters. You can make them do things. You can make you know things blow up. You can make this or that happen. And that is so fun because it's liberating to see um, you get to create the characters and you get to decide what happens to them. And then you get to decide, you know, this sounds terrible, if you want to kill them off or they no longer deserve to live or you can kill all your villains. Um, and in fact, in fiction, a lot of my villains have sometimes honestly been bad bosses. You know, there are people that were either mean to me, sometimes a bus driver. When I was in elementary school, I had the worst bus drivers. And I always used to think like, when I get off of this bus or when I get out of school, man, I'm going to be something amazing because the bus drivers were just so mean. But the, I realize now that they gave me so much um, meanness and so much character study that I put them in my book and made them, you know, mean people. And then I sometimes get to kill them off, which is fun too. Only the bad people. I only kill off the bad people. Um, as far as writing nonfiction, you know, it's very matter of fact. You have to really cut to the chase. You can't meander. You're trying to give people good info. You need to be succinct and concise. And so that kind of limits your ability to dream. You're just trying to get the info. You can tell a story in nonfiction, um, but you really need to be relaying, at least for my nonfiction, which is instructional or inspirational. I'm trying to relay, this is what happened to me, this is how I dealt with it, and here's the lessons you can learn. So I think that um, it just doesn't provide as much leeway to just, you know, frolic and meander. You really have to get to the point in nonfiction or else people will be like, oh my God, these are, you know, this is long-winded, this is not helpful. Um, so there's a little bit more scrutiny in nonfiction than there is in fiction. Now, uh, are your uh, books self-published, traditionally published, or do you have like a, a mix of self-published and traditionally published books? So my first three books were uh, published by a publishing house. So they were traditionally published. I had a contract. I mentioned that I won that contest. Well, the contest included um, a royalty agreement and a contract. And also, so I got royalties off of that. I got an advance. And then the next two books that I submitted to the publishing house, I also got an advance and a royalty contract and um, just a publishing contract. And then from then on, I've self-published my books. But I am working on a proposal to hopefully go back into um, being published. But it's for a nonfiction book. I'm not sure that I have the time or the energy um, you know, I never rule anything out, but publishing with a publishing house can be stressful sometimes. It's a wonderful opportunity to have, but people forget that you've signed a contract saying you'll deliver a certain product by a certain time. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you're also waiting for them to agree that your book is worthy. And so when you self-publish, you get to cut out that extra scrutiny. You get to publish what you want to. Um, you get to really take control of your destiny. And sometimes I think, you know, by the time I submit to a publishing house, if that's what you want, there's nothing wrong with that. But both of the pathways have both pros and cons. So I'll say that there are wonderful things about publishing, getting a contract, getting a book deal. You know, you may even make the USA Today uh, bestseller list, the New York Times, that can happen. 
sometimes and then sometimes not. And the same with self-publishing. You may not be able to make it a go as much as you want. You may not find the success that you want. There's a lot of work because you wear so many hats. You wear a book cover designer. You wear marketing department. Um, you wear the hat of proofreader and editor, um, copy editing. So you wear a lot of different hats in self-publishing, but they can be equally rewarding. So you really, when, I, when people ask me, you know, which pathway should I choose? I always tell them you want to see what your goals are first. If you don't want to do anything but write and you have a commercial ready book, then, um, you know, going after a contract would be best. If you have a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit, you don't mind doing several different things. You can delegate. Um, you don't mind firing people. There are book cover designers that I've had to let go and I had a really hard time, you know, telling them that, you know, what they were doing wasn't working. You have to really develop the, the skin and the wherewithal to be able to do that. So you have to be HR department, marketing, copy. Uh, you actually have to write the book, too. I mean, that's the, the largest part. You can't do any of that without a written book. Um, and so they're just both pros and cons about each of those. And you have to really decide what your goals are, and that will help you zero in on which path you want to choose. Now, uh, how well do you believe that racial diversity is represented in the book writing and publishing industry? I think it's certainly gotten better, but I also see that it's kind of falling off. What I'll say is that there was a moment right after George Floyd where people were having these kind of awakenings and realizations about the prejudice that exists. It's like, you know, they kind of lived under a rock and didn't quite see it. But people started showing them that this is everywhere. It's not just in policing, it's in publishing, it's in fashion, it's in, you know, architecture, it's in every single sector. And so I think that there have been strides made to be more inclusive. There are a number of initiatives. Um, but I also see that falling off now. Um, I think that um, people are kind of like, you know, they, they are fighting diversity and equity in some sectors. Not all of them. Some of them have made initi initiatives that are here to stay, but some of them only did them for a time. And now we're back to the same old, same old kind of uh, prejudices that existed, you know, before that. So I think that it, it was good. It did create some changes, but I think that people, um, you know, they almost have a fatigue, I feel like. And you just can't ever have fatigue. I can't have be have fatigue over being black. You know, they shouldn't have fatigue over being inclusive. And so I, but I do see it uh, kind of dwindling. Now, uh, I have one last question. On your Instagram page, you listed the word margin as your word of the year for 2023. And why did you choose that as your word of the year? Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for, for checking that out. I did list that just this week. Margin is about, um, it's not only a, mar a writing term as far as, you know, have good margins so that your editors can make notes in the margins, but it's about the edge of the paper or the edge of your life, if you will. It's really a metaphor about, I really run myself to the margins, to the very edge kind of, of almost like my energy, my bandwidth. And there are aspects of that I like. Obviously, I schedule myself. Obviously, I do all the things that I need to do, this podcast, 
a show, writing a book, you know, but um, even today I canceled one of my books that is supposed to come out on January 16th. I just said, you know what, you can't run yourself ragged. You're running to the edge of the margin. You need to pull back and give yourself a little bit more time. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's really what it's about. It's about giving yourself more time to do the things. I want to put out a stellar book always, and it can't be rushed. Normally, in any other circumstance, I would have just said, you know what, buckle down and do it. Stay up till 11 a.m. Stay up till 1 o'clock in the morning. Get it done. And now this year, I'm just deciding that I'm going to try. I'll be disappointed in myself that I didn't make my deadline. I made a may have wasted time, I may have not felt well, I may have deal with disability issues that come about, but I'm going to be more forgiving and not run my life, myself, um, to the margins. So there are still things that are piling up that I need to do. Um, and, um, you know, just give yourself space. Um, after I do a book signing, after I do a podcast, I'm on to the next thing. And I really should, you know, schedule myself more loosely to just take time, take time to say, wow, that was really good. Take time to listen, take time to veg out and just watch a show, watch a movie, um, you know, and so I want to do more of that. Um, it's, an, it's an adjustment, I must say. Um, I'm only into it, you know, day two. I only put that up, what, Monday or Tuesday? And so... Uh, but that's what I'm going to be striving to do. It might not always happen. I still might run myself ragged into the edge. But the goal is to leave space in the margin. Well, Tracy, uh, that was my last question. And I thank you for appearing on the Heartland Author Podcast. You were a very insightful guest. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a great honor to interview Tracy, and she was a very insightful guest for this podcast. This is Aaron Apollo Camp reminding y'all to write your imagination. Bye for now. You can learn more about me and my book writing projects at camparenapollo.witsite.com forward slash author AAC. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at AuthorAAC and on Instagram at AACScribe. Copyright 2023, Aaron Apollo Camp, All Rights Reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission of this podcast episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty-free music and sound effects obtained from https colon forward slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.